Would you join with me in prayer? Dear Lord, I thank you so much. I thank you that your name is holy, set apart, and yet I thank you that you, you never pull yourself and hold yourself apart from us. I thank you that you are eternal and overarching, and I thank you that you are imminent and close by. Thank you in everything. Pray, Lord, that you, you fill us with your Holy Spirit now. Open your word to us even as we open our hearts to your word. We pray, Lord, use this time in Jesus' name. Amen. There's an old traditional Russian rhyming proverb that says, Vivide no privide. Trust, but verify. And it's a, it's a phrase that Ronald Reagan learned in the 1980s and used repeatedly in 1987 in negotiating the arms control treaty with Gorbachev. So much so, Gorbachev was like, you keep saying that over and over and over again. And Reagan said, yeah, I like it. But um, the basic idea of this proverb is, is to say that, that if you have an uneasy alliance, the, the, the healthiest way to build that is to trust but verify. To trust that the person is going to do the right thing, but double check it. Make sure that you're on top of it. Because that's better than either blind faith or being mistrustful all the time. Because the idea is if something does go wrong and you don't anticipate that it will, you catch it early. When things don't go wrong, when people do what you want them to do, when they do the right thing, it strengthens the bonds of the alliance. It, it, it makes it deeper and better. Of course, that only works if you actually can trust the person that you're in alliance with. Um, or next to, or however you want to look at it. I mean, recently, um, India and, and China have had some border skirmishes, and India said that their official policy is verify and still distrust. So, <laughs> everybody likes this term, and I like playing with it. But, um, when we look at what we've seen so far in the book of Joshua, over and over and over again, when people have trusted God, that faithfulness has been verified, haven't it? Over and over and over again, God has shown that he is completely committed to them. He has done exactly what he's said he's going to do. He's going to be faithful. He's even faithful to saying, I'll be with you so long as you're with me. Be strong and courageous. Do everything I say I'm going to I ask you to do, and, and I will be right there with you. And they go, yeah, we're going to abandon part of that. And he's like, then don't necessarily expect me to help you. That's still part of the covenant, isn't it? I'm still being faithful to this covenant. And even then, he doesn't abandon his people. Even after Achan stole from God, even after he kept some of the haram things, the, the, th the things that were never supposed to be inside the camp of Israel, he hid them in his tent. Even after he made the camp itself haram before God, God still remained in relationship with them. In Joshua chapter 8, and if you haven't opened your Bibles... We're going to be in 8, 9, and 10. But in Joshua chapter 8, the Lord said to Joshua, and again, I, I, I don't always do this, but there are some books where it's extremely helpful to do this. When it says Lord here, that's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, this is saying the name of God, and that becomes germane in this story. Yahweh said to Joshua, don't be afraid, don't be discouraged, which is exactly what he's been saying this whole book, right? Over and over and over again. Be strong and courageous, do the stuff I tell you to do. Seriously. 
I know we've done this before. I know we've had this discussion. I know we just went through a lot with Aachen. I understand that. But do what I tell you to do here, and, and I'll be with you. So what does he tell him? He says, take the whole army with you and go up and attack Ai. And if you remember from last week, the last time they fought with Ai, it didn't turn out so great, right? They fought against, they didn't even really fight against Jericho. Jericho just kind of imploded and they won, right? Um, and then next they went to Ai. They took about 3,000 out of their 40,000 guys. They went to Ai and got routed, just slapped down by this little bitty Ai. And they lost 36 guys and the rest of the thousands of guys went scampering up the slopes to escape. God says, okay, this time take the whole army not just 3,000, take the whole army and go up and attack Ai. For I've delivered into your hands the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. And everybody says, yay! Right? Yes? No? It's early and it's warm in here and I don't know where the story's going. Okay, yay! I have delivered Ai into your hands. They just beat you last time. Now I've delivered them. Yay! Right? Excellent. Has anything changed, by the way? They just got lost. Right. But from before he heard this from God till after he heard this from God, I mean, is he standing inside a defeated AI? Does he have the king in chains? Anything like that? I have given you AI. Yay! You promised to give me AI, right? Or is that the same thing? Is it? Is it the same thing? I've given you AI. I have now promised that you will get AI. If you have trust and verified, if you know that this is somebody that you can absolutely trust, if I, if I say um, I, I take Cody out to lunch, and I and, and at the end of the other thing I say, uh, he says I need to get back to work. I'm like, it's okay. I got the bill. I, I'll cover you. Go ahead. And he goes, thanks. Have I paid his bill? So he has left the building and skipped out on paying the bill, right? No, I promised him I would. There's no reason for him to believe I didn't. Me saying, I've got this, is the same thing as me actually paying the bill, right? And if that's true with somebody who's as messed up as I am, how much more true is that with God? God's like, I've given you AI. And Joshua can go, good. I've given him the king, all those people, everything. I've said this about Jericho. I said this, and you believe me, and it worked. Now we're doing this do-over, do-over, because Jericho is technically a do-over after the whole wilderness thing. So this is a do-over, do-over. You trusted the promise last time, and it was verified. Now trust me again. I know you lost to AI afterwards, but that's on you guys. You guys screwed it up. But do you trust me again to believe again what I'm promising you again? You're going to do to Ai and to its king as you did to Jericho and its king, except this time you can carry off their plunder. You can actually carry off the livestock. Keep it yourselves. Because this isn't part of the, we're entering back into the promised land. We're coming back to our ancestral homeland and we're giving the first fruits all to God. That was Jericho. This is, and now we're taking, we're taking our homeland back. You can keep the stuff this time. This is a different statement. So God told Joshua, set an ambush behind the city. And from, okay, from a military standpoint, this is actually a really fun plan. I love this plan. Because people of AI, what do they know about Israel? Well, they've heard stories. 
But what they know is that like 3,000 guys came and they fought and then 3,000 guys went scampering away like frightened rabbits up the slopes, right? They chased them up the slopes, left the city. So Joshua takes 30,000 out of his 40,000 guys and puts them hiding to the west of Ai. And he takes 5,000 of his men and storms Ai from a valley to the north, which is arguably the same place they stormed it last time. Same place as before. And Ai fights them, same as before. And Joshua goes, ah! Turns around and starts running. And all the, all the Israelites run with him, scampering up the slopes of the valley, just like before. Everything is exactly the way it was the last time. So what does Ai do? Same thing they did last time. The king of Ai takes his whole army, all of them, and chases them out of the city. Chases them out into the valley. Chases them up the slopes. Just like they did the last time. At which point Joshua says, aha, but this isn't the last time. They pivot and attack back from the high ground. At which point the 5,000 guys that were also hiding in ambush sweep out and catch the troops of AI in a pincer move. So now they're between two forces. While the other 30,000 guys that were in hiding just step in and take the city. They go, the king of Ai goes, oh man, I trusted that I knew what was going on. I didn't verify anything. I didn't send out any scouts. Really, they're only coming out with the 5,000 again? Ha, ha, ha. There's 5,000 over there. There's 30,000 over there. <laughs> Let's go chase them. Bad plan. But if you're strong and courageous, if you do everything the Lord says, boom, this actually works. And then we're told that Joshua builds an altar and there, in, the, in verse 32, in the presence of the Israelites, Joshua copied on stones the law of Moses, which he had written. And then afterwards, we're told and, and that Joshua read all the words of the law, the blessings and the curses, just as were written in the book of the law. And there wasn't one word of all that Moses had commanded that Joshua didn't read to the whole community, the whole assembly of Israel, including the women, the children, the aliens who lived among them, like Rahab and her family, right? Rahab and her family weren't Israelites, but they lived among them. This great do-over, do-over. And now it's happening again to the people. Joshua's like, okay, do you remember when Moses gave you commandments chiseled on stone? We're doing that again. Do-over. We're going to do all this again. How, how, how many times is God going to forgive and re-forgive and re-forgive? How many times is he going to covenant and then re-covenant and then re-covenant with these people. How many times does he forgive? Is it, is it twice now? Is it three times now? Is it seven times? Is it seven times seven? Seventy times seven? How does that work exactly? How many, to- how, many times do you- how many times are you supposed to forgive? When somebody says something to you, how many times can they insult you before you react with a snarky comeback? It's, it's, it's seven times, isn't it? Seven times, seventy times? Or do you, is that what you do or is that what you should do? There's a difference there, right? How many times do people insult you or cut you off or say snarky things on InstaFace Twit before you, before you respond? Is it seven times? Is it once? How many times is God going to forgive and forgive and forgive? How important is the concept of a covenant to God? Even when the people he's covenanting with are doofuses, doofi. 
I mean, how important is it that God goes, yeah, well, you're a doofus, but it's still my covenant in my name. And, and that means something. I'm going to do what I promised, even if you're a doofus. Has that changed? Is he still covenant with doofuses? Is he still pretty, pretty faithful about that? Are we still doofuses, doofi? Oh, absolutely. Chapter 9, when all the kings west of the Jordan heard about all this, that those in the hill country and the western foothills, all, all these different kings everywhere, when they heard about it, they came together to make war against Joshua and Israel, which actually just makes sense. Because to Joshua and Israel, they're coming home. This is their homeland. They were in Egypt enslaved, and now they finally get to come home. To everybody currently sitting in their home, they're invaders, right? And they're invading rather well. It's kind of like after they left and then came back to Palestine to find that it's filled with Palestinians. Go figure. So to Israel, they're like, well, I know we left. We got kicked out by the Romans, but this is technically our homeland. The Palestinians are like, not for the last couple of millennia. Hours now. They go, well, and how many weeks does it take for that chafing to stop? I get why these guys are banding together. However, when the people of nearby Gibeon heard that what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they resorted to a ruse. Because it worked for Joshua, right? Sneaky. The people of Gibeon, uh, of Gibeon resorted to a ruse. They went as a delegation whose donkeys were loaded with worn-out sacks and old wineskins, cracked and mended. The men put on worn and patched sandals on their feet and wore old clothes and all the bread, their food supply was dry and moldy. And they went to Joshua in the camp of Gilgal, like next door, and said to him and to the men of Israel, we've come from a distant country. Long, we're so tired. We're so tired. Make a treaty with us. Because it's not like we're neighbors. It's not like anything like that. You, we're not the kind of people that you might, you know, want to invade or nothing and take our stuff. In fact, we had we had to Google what's this Gilgal place that you're. We don't know anything about this area. We're just we're lost. <laughs> but we'd like to make a, a, a please make a treaty. And the men of Israel said to these Hivites from Gibeon, I don't know, maybe you live nearby. I mean, how are we going to make a treaty? With, if we make a treaty with you, we can't take all your stuff. And we want to take all your stuff. No, 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 they said. No, no, we're your servants, they said to Joshua. But Joshua said, no, no, okay, who exactly are you? Where exactly do you come from? And they said, your servants come from a very distant country. Farlandia. Actually, they don't say what, you notice they, they keep not saying from a very Farlandian kind of place, unobtainium. It's Farlandia. Like, what, what's the name of your place? Far away. What, where are you from? So far away, we've, we appear to have forgotten the name of our town. I don't know, it's so distant. But, but it became because of the fame of Yahweh, your God. For we have heard reports of him. All that he did in Egypt, all that he's done to the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, we've heard of all this stuff. And this is, you know, technically buttering up the mark, right? This is, but I don't doubt that this is exactly why they want to make a treaty. 
I don't doubt that they're like, oh, we've totally heard of what happened to Jericho. We totally heard that you just smacked down AI. We totally heard of what happened in Egypt. We totally heard of this Yahweh guy. And uh, yeah, our elders and all of those living in our country of Falandia um, said to us, take provisions for your super, super, super long journey and go meet them and say to them, we are your servants for the third time. Make, us, make a treaty with us, which you know we just did. But I mean, look, 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 this bread of ours, it's, it was warm just out of the ovens. When we packed it up at home years ago, months ago, long ago, yeah, it was, it was still warm, many moons. But now see how dry and moldy it is. And these wineskins, they were new when we left. They were new. See how cracked they are? Look at our clothes, our sandals. They're worn out by that very, very, very long, long, horrible, massive journey through swamps and mountains and so far away. When the magician says, hey, look at my props, don't trust the props. Okay? Just a hint. I'm just saying, when somebody comes along and goes, look, look what I have prepared to make my case, go, okay, maybe that's not what I should be looking at. Look at the props. Look at that. And the men of Israel sampled their provisions, said, oh, they are moldy and everything, but didn't inquire of Yahweh. And there's your problem. They trusted, but didn't verify. They didn't verify with these people. They didn't verify with God. And so Joshua made a treaty of peace with them without consulting God. Because why do you need to? It's clear where they're from and we're winning. Right? Do we need God when we're winning? I would agree. But yes, he made a treaty with them to let them live and the leaders of the assembly ratified it by oath before God. Three days after they made the treaty with the Gibeonites, the Israelites heard that they were from Gibeon, right next door, living right near them. You go, oh, man, it's like checking for your wallet five minutes after the guy bumped into you on the bus, right? He stole my wallet. You go, yeah, it's way too late now. He's long gone. And on one level, so it's a really minor thing, isn't it? It's no big deal. Nobody died over this. No big deal. And yet they did this without consulting God because they felt like they didn't need to consult God. And that is kind of a paradigm shift that I think is, it's kind of come back and bite them, I think, as time goes on. Well, the Israelites set out, and on the third day, uh, they came to their cities of Gibeon and, and uh, Kephira and Beeroth and Kiriath-Jerim. But the Israelites didn't attack them because the leaders of the assembly had sworn an oath to them by Yahweh, the God of Israel. They're like, we are on the march, and you made a treaty with us right before we got to your towns. So, how important is a covenant? I mean, what if the person you made a covenant with is a con artist? What if they're a doofus? How important is a covenant? Swearing an oath on the name of God. How important is a promise? Is it less important because you didn't do your due diligence? You trusted without verifying? A whole assembly grumbled against the leaders because they really, really, really just wanted to take their stuff. And they're like, we signed the thing because they're con men. They built us. But all the Israelite leaders answered, no, it doesn't matter. We've given our oath by Yahweh, by that name. And 
There's a whole commandment about not using that name in vain, isn't there? As I'm using this name, I'm using it because it is the name he gave to use, and I'm using it because I'm trying to point out that they're talking about a specific God by name. If I were to give an oath by Yahweh's name and then break it, aren't I breaking 10% of the commandments right there? We can't touch them now. There's nothing we can do. We gave an oath, and we're going to be faithful. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to let them live so that the wrath of God won't fall on us for breaking an oath because we don't want to sin. But we're going to let them live, but then they're going to be woodcutters and water carriers for the entire community. I mean, they did repeatedly say, we're your servants. So let's hold them to that, shall we? So the leader's promise uh, to them was kept, and Joshua summoned the Gibeonites and said, got to do us like that what's it, why you deceive us by saying we live a long way from you in farlandia when you live next door now you're under a curse and it's not a haram curse it's not the same word this isn't a i've got to obliterate you you don't belong in the assembly this is a you're in dutch with god you're in hot water you're in trouble don't you there's going to be repercussions with what you're doing so you're you're never going to cease to serve us as woodcutters and water carriers for the house of God. And they answered Joshua, Your servants were clearly told how Yahweh, your God, had commanded his servant Moses to give you the whole land to wipe out all its inhabitants from before you. So we feared for our lives because of you, and, that, and that's why we did this. But give them credit. I mean, as faith goes, it's not a deep faith. It's not a particularly edifying faith, but... Aren't they saying we actually believe Yahweh is God? Your God's a lot bigger and tougher and better than any of the gods we see around here. We actually think your God is God. And I don't think these Canaanite gods are doing much of anything. And your God is, is powerful. Technically, isn't that, isn't that why Rahab was spared? She's a Canaanite that said, I have no background with you guys, but I think your God is God. And so I'd really like it if you didn't kill me because I think you guys probably could. And isn't that what Gibeon is saying? Shouldn't Gibeon have that same do-over that Rahab got? Or are they too much of a doofus? How important is a covenant if the person's really a doofus? How important, if you don't use the word covenant that often in life, how important is it to actually work on relationship and actually work on connecting and actually work on forgiving people if they're a doofus? It's not as important, right? Is it as important? Is it not as important? Because the covenant itself, though it affects the other person, the covenant isn't about the other person. It's about the promise. The relationship, my relationship with my wife, I love her and I want to do good because I like her, but at its core, anytime people go, I don't understand what's the big deal about a wedding certificate, you go, because it means that this is more than just about how I feel about my wife at a given moment. It's about the promise and the covenant that we've made to each other. And that's bigger than how I feel about her at a given moment. So is that easier to keep on some days than others? Yeah. Hey, really? <laughs> Okay, let's pray. 
technically, no. It's easier to live out and to live like I mean it, or apparently like she means it, um, some days than others, but the covenant itself has nothing to do with the day. It has nothing to do with how I feel with her or how she feels about me. The covenant itself is not easier to keep any given day because the covenant isn't about the day. It's not about us. It's about the covenant we made before God. It's about the promise. So he's like, same thing here. This is about the promise. So he saved them from the Israelites and they didn't kill him. I love that he saved them from his own people. He's like, eh, my people pretty much want to kill you. But that day he made the Gibeonites woodcutters and water carriers for the community and for the altar of Yahweh at the place of Yahweh that he would choose. And, and that's what they are to this day. And on some levels you go, okay, so he forced them to... The word that's used there is interesting. He made them woodcover, woodcutters and he made them water carriers. Again, we can read that today and it just it doesn't resonate. The word there isn't forced. The word there is it's, it's given or even dedicated. They said, we're your servants, don't kill us. And after he found out that they totally lied to, to save their skins, he said, all right, you'll serve in the tabernacle. You'll be the Levites to the Levites. When I say woodcutters and water carriers, I mean to the tabernacle, to the temple. Ultimately, you guys are the ones who take care of the ark. The ark stays in Gibeon for years, in the time of, of, of David. The people of Gibeon tend to the tabernacle. The people of Gibeon ended up helping Nehemiah build the wall. The people of Gibeon are, even though they're not part of Israel, are still part of the service of worship of Yahweh for generations. I think that's kind of powerful. Because it's not just, fine, you're gonna, I'm forcing you to be our servants. This is saying, all right, you're going to be part of us. You have a specific place. You said servants, I'm going to hold you to that. But even that, I'm going to, I'm going to elevate you in the process. In fact, arguably one of the reasons why King Saul lost his kingship is he got bloodthirsty at one point and killed everybody who's not Israel, including all these people in Gibeon. He's a king that doesn't honor covenants. God's like, we're not using this. We're finding a new king, a new guy, a better man. Now we're told in chapter 10, verse 1, Adoni Zedek, king of Jerusalem. This is a non-Israelite Jerusalem. This is before they took it back. He heard of all that Joshua had done, all, that he had taken Ai and had totally destroyed Charimdit, uh, doing to Ai and its king as he had done to Jericho. He heard about all this done that the people of Gibeon had made a treaty of him, and they were much alarmed about this because Gibeon is an important city. It's like one of the royal cities. It's larger than Ai. All its people were good fighters. And you go, ooh, maybe it's going to work in their favor to be hoodwinked by Gibeon. So the king of Jerusalem appealed to all these other kings and said, let's go attack Gibeon because it's made peace with Joshua and with Israelites. And so they took up fortified positions against Gibeon and Gibeon did what? They said, hey, we have a treaty with Israel. So they sent word going, help! Like 47 seconds after conning Israel into signing a non-aggression pact, went, hey, we're getting attacked! So Joshua marched up from Gilgal and his entire army, including all the best fighting men. You know, I love it. It's not even, doesn't even skip a beat. It doesn't say, I'll send up 5,000 guys. I'll send up some of our guys. He goes, nope. We're coming in force and we're sending the best of our best because you're part of us now. You're connected to us. We're taking that covenant 
seriously. And it honors Yahweh for us to do this. So he marched up. And Yahweh said to Joshua, don't be afraid of them. I've given them into your hands. Yay! Has anything actually happened yet? But has God promised it? Is that the same thing? Has that level of faithfulness changed over the years? Pretty sure it's the same God. So this is the do-over of the do-over of the duo. Be strong and be courageous. Do everything God commands you. And so he's re-covenanting with Israel and with Joshua. And he kept this covenant over and over and over again. It's been repeatedly affirmed, his faithfulness, and and, and their reliance has been strengthened on God. Joshua's kept his covenant with God and with Rahab, now with Gibeon. So how does God promise to help and help? We're told in this battle, Yahweh hurled large hailstones down on their enemies from the sky, and more of them died from the hailstones than were killed by the swords of the Israelites. Yeah. And the sun stood still when Joshua prayed for it. The sun stood still. The moon stopped until the nation avenged itself on its enemies. The sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down almost a full day. I have no idea what that means. Does that mean the world stopped rotating? Probably not. Does that mean that time stood still? I guess. I don't know. I mean, there's technically an Aztec legend on the other side of the planet about an exceedingly long night at that same point in history. So maybe it had nothing to do with it. I don't know. Point is, from their perspective, the sun stopped in the middle of the sky, delayed. And there's never been a day like it before or since, a day when Yahweh listened to a human. Which is interesting. I mean, there's all sorts of times we, we heard Yahweh hearing people. There's all sorts of times when God has taken this seriously. But to stop time because somebody prayed for it i'm pretty sure that that is a trusted faithfulness that is way much very 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 verified isn't it that's about as verified as you can get verified and and the writer says surely yahweh was fighting for israel that's what he promised to do so joshua totally haremed all those cities that came up against him and then he told his commanders Don't be afraid, don't be discouraged, be strong and courageous, which is exactly what God keeps telling him over and over and over again. This truth is worth remembering. And and we're told that Joshua subdued the whole region, including the hill country, the Negev, western foothills, the mountain slopes, together with all their kings, and all these kings and their lands, Joshua conquered in one campaign, a single campaign. Not just because he's this great leader, not just because the people are hardened fighters, but because specifically... Yahweh, the God of Israel, fought for Israel. How many times does the Bible have to tell you something before we trust it? Ah, see, that was me being tricksy again. I didn't ask how many times the Bible says something before we should trust it. How many times does the Bible have to say something before we do trust it? Because if I say God is faithful and you go, yep, that's good enough for me, never have to question that again. Really? Is that the way that works? Technically, it's the way it should work, but I'm a little foolish, and I forget that sometimes, and the waves look big, the wind looks big. How many times does the Bible have to say something before I actually believe it? Before I actually wrap my head around it, and my heart around it, and my life around it? 
too often, too often we forget. Let me, let me just toss out two things worth remembering from this section. Number one, truth number one, God is faithful. Seriously. Just totally, really, and for true. He's, it's been shown, it's been demonstrated, it's been verified over and over and over and over and over again, not only in Scripture, but also in your own lives. We've had whole sermons about that. How many times does God have to prove his essential faithfulness? shouldn't really have to prove it at all, but once you verify it, you don't have to keep verifying it. You know his character. So how many times does he have to verify it today before we just live in that tomorrow? Can, can we just build that into the way we look at things where we say, oh, I think God is faithful. Why? Because he was yesterday, and he was the day before, and he was the week before. Why is that hard? Maybe because, maybe because so many other things in life that we trust end up being unverified later. I trust that I'm going to be with this person forever and then they're not. I trust that they're never going to, to steal from me and then they steal from me. I, I trust that they're never going to do something wrong and then they do. I trust that my health is going to be there because I'm an athlete and then it isn't. How many things in life are not verifiably trustworthy? But shouldn't we just live in the daily anticipation that God will do the right thing? Just live in that. Wake up in the morning and know that God's got this, that we can rely on him and that that reliance is strengthened as we verify during that day that he's doing exactly what he said he's going to do. Because if you live in that every day, if you say, I really have verified, I trusted and I verified, and every day he's always been trustworthy, you can start to live in that constant sense of gratefulness can't you that the bible tells us to this idea of being able to lay things at god's feet and with thanksgiving just let go of the anxiety because you know that your faithfulness in god has been verified truth number two god is faithful no seriously and the, the emphasis i'm trying to make on this one is Sometimes, even when we can do the first truth, yeah, yep, I believe God's faithful. God's got a good heart. Yep, I, he's always been good. And really, have you ever found yourself going, yeah, but I've been such a doofus. I don't know if God's going to be with me anymore. You ever felt that? Don't, you maybe don't have to raise your hand, but sometimes we forget and we think that God's faithfulness has something to do with us when it has everything to do with the promise itself with the oath taken on his name has everything to do with his character did did god make a covenant with us because he knew he could trust us and then that trust was verified by multiple examples of us being faithful before he made a covenant with us is that the way that worked no not even remotely. Was God absolutely aware before he made a covenant with you that you're a doofus who will screw this up? Absolutely. And is that okay with him? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. He's like, do not ever screw this up. Do not be a doofus. It's important. Don't mess this up. You go, Got it. He's like, you so don't. You so don't. 
So it's not important. Super important. Yeah, doofus. But I love you. And my covenant with you is because I love you. I'm going to stick with you no matter what you do. So we can look at Gibeon and go, ah, con men. I'm like, we're all Gibeon. We can look at Israel and go, ah, Achen taking stuff that doesn't belong to him. We're all Achen. And God goes, yeah, covenant's a covenant. And I will never leave you nor forsake you. I'm here for you. I love you. Don't be a doofus. I don't know. How do you apply this in your life? Trusting God because of his character? Trusting God in spite of your character? I don't know which truth you need to work on, but let me encourage you. This is a God who says, I don't plan to do this all the time, but there's precedent. I made the sun stand still for a doofus. I love you. I got this. Trust me. So live in that. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you so much. I thank you that you give us wisdom to trust but verify with one another. You give us wisdom to know that we can totally verify your trustworthiness. I thank you, Lord, that I thank you, Lord, that your love for us has very little to do with you verifying that we're going to do this right. Lord, I thank you for your graciousness toward us. But I pray, Lord, help us to trust in you to know that that has been verified and to live that out. In Jesus' name, amen.